May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So, part three of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. It's not something we've heard in this church for a number of years, and it's unlikely that it'll be heard again for a number of years, because we need to have a really late Easter coincide with Year C. And it's been a while since we've had a Gospel of Luke when there's been a really late Easter. Consequently, there's not a lot of resources around for this week. Made worse by the fact that for Protestant churches, this Sunday is Transfiguration Sunday. So they've jumped ahead to Luke 9. Uh, But because we're Anglican, not that all Anglicans do this, so that's also why some resources weren't there. But we're part of those Anglican churches that have stuck closely to... Cramner's original lectionary back 500 years ago, and uh, he had the Transfiguration somewhere in August. So in August, we get to do the Transfiguration. So this week was a challenge, I would have to say. All my normal sources of input were non-existent. But this is an important reading, and it's. I thought it was important that we actually did kind of hear all three parts of the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, So this is the last part, and we would move on next week if we were to follow the story on. But next week, because it's the first week in Lent, we're going to jump back to uh, Jesus in the wilderness. So I've said, so just a couple of introductory comments. The first thing is, I'll probably keep saying this all year, but um, the... All of Luke needs to be read through the lens of Luke 4, where Jesus goes home to Nazareth and he takes the scroll from Isaiah and he reads that passage, uh, which we read the summary of this morning in, in, in part of the liturgy, about Jesus being good news for the poor, uh, proclaiming release to the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, and letting the oppressed go free, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. Which, as I said when we looked at that a a few weeks ago, is in itself a restating of Mary's song of protest, the Magnificat. That's the first comment. The second comment is, uh, which I've said before, that this is the equivalent of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. So Luke's on a plane, Matthew was on a mount, and that was for, for very good reasons. So Matthew is trying to to show how Jesus is the new Moses. So like Moses, Matthew has the Holy Family going down to Egypt and then coming up from Egypt. Luke doesn't have any of that stuff. No one else mentions that, that about that. Uh, and so this story is set on a mountain because Moses got the law on a mountain, so Jesus is giving his new understanding of the law on a mountain, like Moses did. So it's the Sermon on the Mount. Luke positions his story on a plain, not because he liked plains more than he liked mountains, but because plains or level places held a particular a particular um, meaning uh, throughout Scripture. So, as I said a couple of weeks ago when we first looked at this, level places or plains often referred to places of corpses. Disgrace, idolatry, suffering, misery, hunger, annihilation, and mourning. 
So mountains are sacred places, Wahitapu, plains are almost exactly the opposite. So Luke puts his story here on a plain, and he is surrounded by, well, sick people, possessed people, poor people, hungry people, broken people, broken people in a broken place, as one of the commentators described it. And they, I mean, they're not just surrounding him, they're grabbing hold of him. The, the translation that we, like the Greek is translated as touch, but actually it's a more accurately to say they were grabbing hold of him. They, they were looking for hope from him. So why is Luke doing this? Why is Luke situating the story in a broken place amongst all these people? Because this is what it looks like when Jesus... brings good news to the poor, proclaims release to the captives, offers recovery of sight to the blind, lets the oppressed go free. This is what it looks like while Jesus is proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. And then in Luke, just in Matthew, he offers... uh, No, actually, well, then in Luke, as in Matthew, but in Matthew's it's different... He looks up and sees his disciples and he restates Mary's song of protest, the Magnificat, with his Beatitudes. So we had the Magnificat. Jesus is restating that, but in a much more direct fashion. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep now. So it's kind of like Matthew's version, but different because Matthew is much more spiritual. Blessed are you who who are poor, um, poor in spirit. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So there's a different slant in Matthew's. Luke is just restating the Magnificat and it's right in your face. But woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who are laughing now. Woe to you when all speak well of you. So if you look at Mary's song of protest and you kind of compare that to the Beatitudes, it's just Jesus restating it in a different way, but directly to the people involved in it. And then, like Matthew, Jesus follows all that up by saying how, by offering some wisdom sayings about how to live now in anticipation that what Jesus is living out will come to fruition. So the reign of God has started in Jesus. God's will is being done on earth as in heaven as we pray every week at least. Some of us more often in the Lord's Prayer. That is happening now in Jesus. So how do we live acknowledging that that's happening now but also is not complete? How do we live in anticipation of the day when that will be true? God's will is done on earth as in heaven. How do we live in anticipation that the reign of God is fully happening here on earth as in heaven? So both Matthew and Luke offer a whole collection of wisdom sayings. Matthew offers a whole lot more wisdom sayings than Luke does. So we have now heard all of Luke's wisdom sayings last week and this week. So I thought it was important that we actually do that, hear all of what Luke has to say. 
especially as we come to Lent. Now, one of the things that Luke is doing in his gospel is he is trying to write in a way so that when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, the the original hearers of his gospel could hear that Jesus was also speaking to them. These are not nice stories set in the past that we can have Bible studies about and, and come up with nice thoughts. This is Jesus speaking directly to those who seek to follow him now. We are those disciples gathered around Jesus on the level place, the plain amongst all those broken people. Jesus is looking up and speaking to us. So what does that feel like when Jesus looks up and speaks these words to us? Well, to help us kind of get into that, I want to uh, do a Lectio Divina today. So a Lectio Divina is a way of reading or praying with Scripture that, well, certainly Benedict of Nicaea kind of made it uh, more available. My hunch is that he got it from uh, the desert fathers and mothers from the Syrian and Egyptian deserts uh, from 200 years before him. So... Uh, Benedict of Nicaea is the father of Western monasticism. He took uh, how the monastics lived in the Eastern Church and he reinterpreted that for the Western Church. And so we have Benedictines today. And his rule is probably the most used monastic rule still today. Many of the orders that followed him used his rule, the Benedictine rule. Uh, and it's a very practical rule. We have a group of Benedictines and Franciscans that meet here uh, on the third Wednesday of every month for a Eucharist. And as part of that, we read from our principles and they read from Benedict's rule. And it's just so practical about how to kind of rule every part of your, of your daily life as a, as, a, um, as a monastery. So last time we heard about which, how many psalms to use at the hours, the office of the hours, and whether to have antiphons at the end of them or not. So very practical stuff. So whether to have two or three psalms, etc. So Benedict developed this way of praying that allowed his, those who lived in his monasteries to sit with the scripture for some time and to pray with it. Not just read it, but pray with it. And that's been kind of rejigged in more recent times as a way of doing that with groups, not just individuals. So we're going to do that today. So we are going to hear the scripture, the gospel reading we heard before three times. And at the end of each time, there will be a question for you to to reflect on for one or two minutes in silence. So get yourself comfortable, get ready to hear the, the gospel reading for the first time. And the question to reflect on as in the silence is, what word or phrase is especially meaning for you as you hear this gospel reading? What word or phrase stands out? You'll be hearing the, the reading in three different versions. Jesus also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor friend, 
Let me take out the speck in your eye when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my word and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house, who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house, but could, but could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. So in silence, I invite you to hear the word or phrase that stands out for you and to silently repeat that word or phrase. Luke 6, 49, a message. He quoted a problem. Can a blind man guide a blind man? Wouldn't they both end up in the ditch? And a preface doesn't lead to the master. The point is to be careful who you follow as your teacher. 
as these do see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly smear on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this I know better than you, you tell to again. Play a holier than thou heart, instead of just learning your own heart. Wipe the ugly smear off your own face, and you might be fit to wash it to you. Offer a wash a washcloth, sorry, to your neighbour. You don't get where the apples off the healthy tree, nor good apples off a disease tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life earning lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brings over the true words and deeds. Why are you so spoiled, uh, so polite with me? Always saying, yes sir, that's right sir. But never do another thing I tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life. Homeowner, improvements to your standard living, they are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst his bank and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them deep into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house that skipped, that skipped the foundation. When the swallow river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards that was a total loss. Of silence, I would invite you to reflect on how does the content of this reading touch my life today? How does the content of this reading touch my life today? I read it the third time, I invite you to reflect on. I believe that God is inviting me to do this Lent. What is God inviting me to do this Lent? 
have also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? The disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor friend, let me take out the speck in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me. Hears my word and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. What do you believe that God is inviting you to do this Lent? Thank you. 